Chapter 7 of Recollections of Abraham Lincoln, 1847 to 1865, by Ward Hill Lemon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain, read by John Greenman. Chapter 7 Dreams and Presentiments. That every man has within him his own Patmos, Victor Hugo was not far wrong in declaring. Reverie, says the great French thinker, fixes its gaze upon the shadow until there issues from it light. Some power that is very high has ordained it thus. Mr. Lincoln had his Patmos, his kinship with the shades, and this is, perhaps, the strangest feature of his character. That his intellect was mighty and of exquisite mold, that it was of a severely logical cast, and that his reasoning powers were employed in the main on matters eminently practical, all men know who know anything about the real Lincoln. The father of modern philosophy tells us that the master of superstition is the people, and in all superstitions wise men follow fools. Lord Bacon, however, was not unwilling to believe that storms might be dispersed by the ringing of bells, a superstition that is not yet wholly dead, even in countries most distinguished by modern enlightenment. Those whom the great Englishman designated masters of superstition, fools, were the common people whose collective wisdom Mr. Lincoln esteemed above the highest gifts of cultured men that the patmos of the plain people as mr lincoln called them was his in a large measure he freely acknowledged and this peculiarity of his nature is shown in his strange dreams and presentiments which sometimes elated and sometimes disturbed him in a very astonishing degree from early youth he seemed conscious of a high mission long before his admission to the bar or his entrance into politics he believed that he was destined to rise to a great height, that from a lofty station to which he should be called, he would be able to confer lasting benefits on his fellow men. He believed also that from a lofty station he should fall. It was a vision of grandeur and of gloom which was confirmed in his mind by the dreams of his childhood, of his youthful days, and of his maturer years. The plain people with whom his life was spent, and with whom he was in cordial sympathy, believed also in the marvelous, as revealed in presentiments and dreams, and so Mr. Lincoln drifted on through years of toil and exceptional hardship, struggling with a noble spirit for honest promotion, meditative, aspiring, certain of his star, but appalled at times by its malignant aspect. Many times prior to his election to the presidency he was both elated and alarmed by what seemed to him a rent in the veil which hides from mortal view what the future holds. He saw, or thought he saw, a vision of glory and of blood, himself the central figure in a scene which his fancy transformed from giddy enchantment to the most appalling tragedy. On the day of his renomination at Baltimore, Mr. Lincoln was engaged at the War Department in constant telegraphic communication with General Grant, who was then in front of Richmond. Throughout the day he seemed wholly unconscious that anything was going on at Baltimore in which his interests were in any way concerned. At luncheon time he went to the White House, swallowed a hasty lunch, and without entering his private office hurried back to the War Office. 
on his arrival at the war department the first dispatch that was shown him announced the nomination of andrew johnson for vice-president this is strange said he reflectively i thought it was usual to nominate the candidate for president first his informant was astonished mr president said he have you not heard of your own renomination it was telegraphed to you at the white house two hours ago mr lincoln had not seen the dispatch had made no inquiry about it had not even thought about it on reflection he attached great importance to this singular occurrence it reminded him he said of an ominous incident of mysterious character which occurred just after his election in eighteen sixty it was the double image of himself in a looking-glass which he saw while lying on a lounge in his own chamber at springfield there was abraham lincoln's face reflecting the full glow of health and hopeful life and in the same mirror at the same moment of time was the face of abraham lincoln showing a ghostly paleness on trying the experiment at other times as confirmatory tests the illusion reappeared and then vanished as before mr lincoln more than once told me that he could not explain this phenomenon that he had tried to reproduce the double reflection at the executive mansion but without success that it had worried him not a little and that the mystery had its meaning which was clear enough to him to his mind the illusion was a sign the lifelike image betokening a safe passage through his first term as president the ghostly one that death would overtake him before the close of the second wholly unmindful of the events happening at baltimore which would have engrossed the thoughts of any other statesman in his place that day forgetful in fact of all earthly things except the tremendous events of the war this circumstance on reflection he wove into a volume of prophecy a sure presage of his re-election his mind then instantly traveled back to the autumn of eighteen sixty and the vanished wraith the ghostly face in the mirror mocking its healthy and hopeful fellow told him plainly that although certain of re-election to the exalted office he then held he would surely hear the fatal summons from the silent shore during his second term with that firm conviction which no philosophy could shake mr lincoln moved on through a maze of mighty events calmly awaiting the inevitable hour of his fall by a murderous hand how it may be asked could he make life tolerable burdened as he was with that pretentious horror which though visionary and of trifling import in our eyes was by his interpretation a premonition of impending doom i answer in a word his sense of duty to his country his belief that the inevitable is right and his innate and irrepressible humor but the most startling incident in the life of mr lincoln was a dream he had only a few days before his assassination to him it was a thing of deadly import and certainly no vision was ever fashioned more exactly like a dread reality coupled with other dreams with the mirror scene and with other incidents there was something about it so amazingly real so true to the actual tragedy which occurred soon after that more than mortal strength and wisdom would have been required to let it pass without a shudder or a pang after worrying over it for some days mr lincoln seemed no longer able to keep the secret 
i give it as nearly in his own words as i can from notes which i made immediately after its recital there were only two or three persons present the president was in a melancholy meditative mood and had been silent for some time mrs lincoln who was present rallied him on his solemn visage and want of spirit this seemed to arouse him and without seeming to notice her sally he said in slow and measured tones it seems strange how much there is in the bible about dreams there are i think some sixteen chapters in the old testament and four or five in the new in which dreams are mentioned and there are many other passages scattered throughout the book which refer to visions if we believe the bible we must accept the fact that in the old days god and his angels came to men in their sleep and made themselves known in dreams nowadays dreams are regarded as very foolish and are seldom told except by old women and by young men and maidens in love mrs lincoln here remarked why you look dreadfully solemn do you believe in dreams i can't say that i do returned mr lincoln but i had one the other night which has haunted me ever since after it occurred the first time i opened the bible strange as it may appear it was at the twenty-eighth chapter of genesis which relates the wonderful dream jacob had i turned to other passages and seemed to encounter a dream or a vision wherever i looked i kept on turning the leaves of the old book and everywhere my eye fell upon passages recording matters strangely in keeping with my own thoughts supernatural visitations dreams visions etc he now looked so serious and disturbed that mrs lincoln exclaimed you frighten me what is the matter i am afraid said mr lincoln observing the effect his words had upon his wife that i have done wrong to mention the subject at all but somehow the thing has got possession of me and like banquo's ghost it will not down this only inflamed mrs lincoln's curiosity the more and while bravely disclaiming any belief in dreams she strongly urged him to tell the dream which seemed to have such a hold upon him being seconded in this by another listener mr lincoln hesitated but at length commenced very deliberately his brow overcast with a shade of melancholy about ten days ago said he i retired very late i had been up waiting for important dispatches from the front i could not have been long in bed when i fell into a slumber for i was weary i soon began to dream there seemed to be a death-like stillness about me then i heard subdued sobs as if a number of people were weeping i thought i left my bed and wandered downstairs there the silence was broken by the same pitiful sobbing but the mourners were invisible i went from room to room no living person was in sight 
that the same mournful sounds of distress met me as I passed along. It was light in all the rooms, every object was familiar to me, but where were all the people who were grieving as if their hearts would break? I was puzzled and alarmed. What could be the meaning of all this? Determined to find the cause of a state of things so mysterious and so shocking, I kept on until I arrived at the East Room, which I entered. There I met with a sickening surprise. Before me was a catafalque, on which rested a corpse wrapped in funeral vestments. Around it were stationed soldiers who were acting as guards. And there was a throng of people, some gazing mournfully upon the corpse, whose face was covered, others weeping pitifully. "'Who is dead in the White House?' I demanded of one of the soldiers. "'The President,' was his answer. "'He was killed by an assassin.' Then came a loud burst of grief from the crowd which awoke me from my dream. I slept no more that night, and although it was only a dream I have been strangely annoyed by it ever since. "'That is horrid,' said Mrs. Lincoln. "'I wish you had not told it. I am glad I don't believe in dreams, or I should be in terror from this time forth." "'Well,' responded Mr. Lincoln, thoughtfully, "'it is only a dream, Mary. Let us say no more about it and try to forget it.'" This dream was so horrible, so real, and so in keeping with other dreams and threatening presentiments of his that Mr. Lincoln was profoundly disturbed by it. During its recital he was grave, gloomy, and at times visibly pale but perfectly calm. He spoke slowly with measured accents and deep feeling. In conversations with me he referred to it afterward, closing one with this quotation from Hamlet, to sleep, perchance to dream, I, there's the rub, with a strong accent on the last three words. Once the President alluded to this terrible dream with some show of playful humor. Hill, said he, your apprehension of harm to me from some hidden enemy is downright foolishness. For a long time you have been trying to keep somebody, the Lord knows who, from killing me. Don't you see how it will turn out? In this dream it was not me, but some other fellow that was killed. It seems that this ghostly assassin tried his hand on someone else. And this reminds me of an old farmer in Illinois whose family were made sick by eating greens. Some poisonous herb had got into the mess, and members of the family were in danger of dying. There was a half-witted boy in the family called Jake, and always afterward when they had greens the old man would say, Now, afore we risk these greens, let's try em on Jake. If he stands em, we're all right. Just so with me. As long as this imaginary assassin continues to exercise himself on others, I can stand it. He then became serious and said, Well, let it go. I think the Lord in his own good time and way will work this out all right. God knows what is best. These words he spoke with a sigh and rather in a tone of soliloquy, as if hardly noting my presence. Mr. Lincoln had another remarkable dream, which was repeated so frequently during his occupancy of the White House that he came to regard it as a welcome visitor. It was of a pleasing and promising character, 
having nothing in it of the horrible it was always an omen of a union victory and came with unerring certainty just before every military or naval engagement where our arms were crowned with success in this dream he saw a ship sailing away rapidly badly damaged and our victorious vessels in close pursuit he saw also the close of a battle on land the enemy routed and our forces in possession of vantage ground of incalculable importance mr lincoln stated it as a fact that he had this dream just before the battles of antietam gettysburg and other signal engagements throughout the war the last time mr lincoln had this dream was the night before his assassination on the morning of that lamentable day there was a cabinet meeting at which general grant was present during an interval of general discussion the president asked general grant if he had any news from general sherman who was then confronting johnston the reply was in the negative but the general added that he was in hourly expectation of a dispatch announcing johnston's surrender mr lincoln then with great impressiveness said we shall hear very soon and the news will be important general grant asked him why he thought so because said mr lincoln i had a dream last night and ever since this war began i have had the same dream just before every event of great national importance it portends some important event that will happen very soon after this mr lincoln became unusually cheerful in the afternoon he ordered a carriage for a drive mrs lincoln asked him if he wished any one to accompany them no mary said he i prefer that we ride by ourselves to-day mrs lincoln said afterwards that she never saw him look happier than he did during that drive in reply to a remark of hers to that effect mr lincoln said and well may i feel so mary for i consider that this day the war has come to a close now we must try to be more cheerful in the future for between this terrible war and the loss of our darling son we have suffered much misery let us both try to be happy on the night of the fatal fourteenth of april eighteen sixty five when the president was assassinated mrs lincoln's first exclamation was his dream was prophetic history will record no censure against mr lincoln for believing like the first napoleon that he was a man of destiny for such he surely was if the term is at all admissible in a philosophic sense and our estimate of his greatness must be heightened by conceding the fact that he was a believer in certain phases of the supernatural assured as he undoubtedly was by omens which to his mind were conclusive that he would rise to greatness and power he was as firmly convinced by the same tokens that he would be suddenly cut off at the height of his career and the fullness of his fame he always believed that he would fall by the hand of an assassin and yet with that appalling doom clouding his life a doom fixed and irreversible as he was firmly convinced his courage never for a moment forsook him even in the most trying emergencies can greatness courage constancy in the pursuit of exalted aims be tried by a severer test he believed with tennyson that because right is right to follow right were wisdom in the scorn of consequence 
Concerning presentiments and dreams, Mr. Lincoln had a philosophy of his own, which, strange as it may appear, was in perfect harmony with his character in all other respects. He was no dabbler in divination. Astrology, horoscopy, prophecy, ghostly lore, or witcheries of any sort. With Goethe he held that nature cannot but do right eternally. Dreams and presentiments, in his judgment, are not of supernatural origin. That is, they proceed in natural order, their essence being preternatural, but not above nature. The moving power of dreams and visions of an extraordinary character he ascribed, as did the patriarchs of old, to the almighty intelligence that governs the universe, their processes conforming strictly to natural laws. Nature, said he, is the workmanship of the Almighty, and we form but links in the general chain of intellectual and material life. Mr. Lincoln had this further idea. Dreams being natural occurrences in the strictest sense, he held that their best interpreters are the common people, and this accounts in large measure for the profound respect he always had for the collective wisdom of plain people, the children of nature, he called them, touching matters belonging to the domain of psychical mysteries. There was some basis of truth, he believed, for whatever obtained general credence among these children of nature, and as he esteemed himself one of their number, having passed the greater part of his life among them, we can easily account for the strength of his convictions on matters about which they and he were in cordial agreement. The natural bent of Mr. Lincoln's mind, aided by early associations, inclined him to read books which tended to strengthen his early convictions on occult subjects. Byron's Dream was a favorite poem, and I have often heard him repeat the following lines. Sleep hath its own world, a boundary between the things misnamed death and existence. Sleep hath its own world in a wide realm of wild reality, and dreams in their development have breath, and tears, and tortures, and the touch of joy. They leave a weight upon our waking thoughts, they take a weight from off our waking toils, they do divide our being. He seems strangely fascinated by the wonderful in history such as the fall of Geta by the hand of Caracalla, as foretold by Severus, the ghosts of Caracalla's father and murdered brother threatening and upbraiding him, and kindred passages. It is useless further to pursue this account of Mr. Lincoln's peculiar views concerning these interesting mysteries. Enough has been said to show that the more intense the light which is poured upon what may be regarded as Mr. Lincoln's weakest points, the greater and grander will his character appear. End of chapter 7 Dreams and Presentiments Read by John Greenman